Well, you can uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews. Chapter 3 is where we'll be today, but I'm going to read first out of chapter 10. So there's two, uh, as we get into Hebrews here, or continue through Hebrews, um, there's a, a message and a calling that I want to kind of cast before you that you'll notice flows through Hebrews. The predominant message of Hebrews is the, the supreme Savior and Son of God, Jesus Christ. Um, he's supreme over, over all. Over all that have come before Him. All, over all that God has sent before with, with the message of repentance and faith. That Jesus reigns supreme over them all. That the covenant that He brings and now makes with us is supreme over the old covenant. Um, that his sacrifice is supreme over all the other sacrifices under the, the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, that the hope that he brings is a uh, supreme hope that we have in becoming the children of God through his righteousness. And so the supremacy of Christ and all that he has done for us is a theme that, that rolls through all of Hebrews. And in light of that, then there's a calling uh, an application point, if you will, um, to those who hear this. There's a calling that flows through Hebrews, and it is essentially this: that because of all that Christ has done for us, persevere. Perseverance is a theme that flows through all of Hebrews, and so we have that that call to persevere is built upon the establishment of. Jesus Christ is our supreme, merciful, and faithful high priest. And, and because of what he's done for us, we can now persevere because we have a hope of glory uh, lying ahead of us, as, as Eric mentioned. And so we persevere in the journey. We're able to persevere in the journey. And we're called to persevere in the journey um, based on Christ and what he has brought to us. So I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10 because uh, you'll get a glimpse into why perseverance was important um, for the people that are are receiving this uh, sermon uh, or epistle or whatever you want to call it. It really reads a lot like a a sermon message. Um, One much better than any I would deliver, so, you know, you've got some good stuff right here. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 is where we'll start. So this gives you insight into where the people that are receiving this are coming from. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, which means when, when, when the Holy Spirit, revealed, when they were given the gospel message and the Holy Spirit uh, opened their eyes to be able to receive the gospel message by faith, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So, in other words, after they became believers, that they were publicly humiliated and and chastised, persecuted, and were, were their brothers and sisters in Christ, they were with them as alongside of them while they were going through this type of suffering. 
Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Wow, that raises the bar, doesn't it? Uh, And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So you see as we, uh, uh, from chapter 10 here, a little nugget that we get here, we can see that, that the, the Hebrews here, that after receiving the gospel, were enduring hardships of various shapes and sizes, uh, that were bringing suffering into their life because of their faith in Christ. And clo- people close to them that they loved and cared for were going through sufferings because of their faith in Christ. And so they had need of being uh, encouraged, exhorted, um, having their eyes redirected the focus of their life and heart redirected so that they would be able to persevere through this. And uh, that's, that's the predominant application point through Hebrews, though there are many that, that we'll encounter along the way. The one, one of the major themes is persevering. So with that in mind, let's, let's uh, look at chapter 3 here today. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful, was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So we're going to break down a few few things off the bat, and then we're going to define some terms here too, make sure that we're we're getting as much out of this as we can. So the first thing, you know, so I've already kind of thrown this at you, so you're well equipped with this. Chapter 2 started out the same way. There's a word there. What's the word? Therefore, therefore, and so we ask, yeah, what's the therefore, therefore? So, therefore, so we're building on something that has come previous to this. What is it that's come previous to this that, that now is being built upon? Well, what came previous to this is, look back to verse 17. Therefore, he, Jesus, 
had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So therefore, because Christ is our perfect and only merciful and faithful high priest, who's able to sympathize with our sufferings and temptations, and because of that able to help us in our time of need. Therefore, holy brothers. Now this, this does something similar that happens back in verse 10 when he says, for it was fitting that he, and then he takes this little, little pause right in the middle of the sentence, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. In other words, he interjects the hope that these people have as believers in Christ. That in the middle of this sentence goes, you are destined for glory. And here, likewise, as the sentence starts off, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. So once again, remember, these are a people who are going through difficulties and the people they love are going through difficulties because... Of their faith in Christ. Now, if there's no hope and if there's no encouragement on the journey uh, that Eric mentioned there, if there's no encouragement and hope in the journey, one begins to lose faith and lose heart and lose the ability to persevere. And so, what these people really need is to have that glory continually cast before them, that reminder of where God is taking you. What God has given you and called you to. And so he reminds them, he throws this in there, therefore, holy brothers, holy brothers, children of God, those who have become sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ, those who have the hope of glory, back in verse 10 of chapter 2, those who have been made righteous through the suffering of Jesus. Look in chapter 2, verse 11. Those who have been set free from slavery to sin and death by the suffering sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Look back in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. You, holy brothers, who have been made brothers in Jesus Christ by God Himself. You who share in a heavenly calling. This heavenly calling that is, is the hope that we hold on to. That we, this, this earth, this life is temporary. And, and the next thing that comes for us is either God's wrath or glory. But you who have been set apart in Christ, who have become Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, have become part of the family of God through faith in Christ, you have glory ahead of you. So you who share in this heavenly calling, then there's this exhortation, consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession. What does it mean here? Why? What does it mean, consider Jesus? There's uh, different, um, in the original language, there's some different words that get translated for us in a similar way through Hebrews. And it's, that we're called upon in Hebrews several times to consider something. Um, most of the time, from what I've 
from my studying, most of the time it's a calling to consider Jesus. But there's also some consideration as it relates to considering others. Um, Considering others' faith, considering how we stir one another up. Um, But certainly there is this strong exhortation to consider Jesus. Now, we're going to work towards why that is so important here towards the end of the the message here. But um, what he's saying is that when um, suffering, and and, and this is maybe just a snapshot of why this exhortation to consider Jesus, in the context of of these suffering and trials related to faith in Christ, um, consider Jesus. Because when we consider Jesus in the midst of whatever trials, difficulties, hardships we face, we consider what he's done for us, it changes our perspective and gives us the hope and strength that we need to persevere. And now we're going to double back to this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that at the moment. Consider Jesus. So, so, so far we have, based on all that Christ has done for you, you believers who share in this hope of glory, consider Jesus. And then it says the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now the apo- an apostle is one that's being sent, specifically in scripture, one who's sent by God, to bring the gospel message. Um, The unique thing about Jesus is he's the apostle of apostles. Because not just like he's the high priest of high priests. um, He's the high priest of high priests because not only does he mediate between God and man, but he himself is the sacrifice. So he's not just bringing a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. So he is high priest of high priests. He is apostle of apostles because not only is he one sent from God to bring a message of salvation, he is the one who's sent by God to be salvation. And so he is apostle of apostles. Now we don't see this in scripture. I think this is the only time that I can think of where Jesus is referred to as apostle. But certainly he is apostle of apostles. There are no other apostles unless there's first apostle Jesus. One sent by God to carry the gospel message, a a pioneer, a planter of the gospel, and ultimately for Jesus, he is the gospel. He is salvation. And so Jesus, uh, apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So first, in the first couple chapters, we have Jesus being compared with angels. And again, we have a similar kind of thing going on, Jesus being compared to Moses. So, the, so what is happening here is those uh, angels and Moses um, would have had a prominent place uh, in, in religious practice and theology. Now, what can happen is, uh, and we, we know this because we're human beings, that we can sometimes exchange the created in place of the creator. 
and things that are, have honor and glory, we elevate them to have ultimate honor and glory rather than leaving that spot for God himself. And so the Hebrews are being reminded here that although the angels are, are, have splendor and honor and glory and, 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 a, and a place uh, that is honored, Jesus is more. That, and here we're going to have that although Moses is a patriarch of patriarchs, that he is such an honored figure in, in our faith, Jesus is more. And so we have this comparison beginning to develop here who was faithful to him who appointed him and then just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. But they're faithful in different ways as we find out or in different roles. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So we have this this, uh, comparison here between Jesus and Moses. Jesus is more glorious than Moses. And the reason is, uh, verse 4, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Right? Now there's, so there's a distinction here. Moses was faithful over God's house. And when it says God's house, um, you know, we sometimes will refer to a church building or something. This is God's house. Uh, this is not God's house. God has blessed us with this place. God's house is sitting here. All right? This is the church. God's people is his house, the body of Christ. All right? So that's what is being referred to here with God's house. We're not talking about... Um, we're not talking about the tabernacle that we looked at in Exodus. We're not talking about the temple that later was built. We're talking about the people of God or the house of God being referred to here. Okay? So Moses, um, he was faithful in all God's house as a servant, as a steward for God over God's house, over God's people to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. In other words, he's kind of like John the Baptist. He came to prepare the way for what God was going to do after him. So Moses was pointing forward to a faithful God of their salvation, that they would keep their eyes and hope in him. He was a steward and a messenger, and he was faithful at that. So it says then, as we continue on, but Christ, verse 6, is faithful over God's house as a son. So there's a distinction. Where Moses was a steward, a servant, Jesus is the very son. There is a, 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 uh, a more honored role of Christ over the house of God. A more privileged role more impactful role, a role that has more authority attached to it than the one Moses had. Um, the, the idea is that mo- whatever authority Moses had was, was uh, delegated to him or, or, or given to him by the owner of the house. 
In other words, if you remember the story of, of Joseph uh, in, in Egypt, the, the authority he had, which was great in Egypt, was given to him by the ruler of Egypt. So, so Joseph would not have authority in Egypt were it not given to him by the ruler of Egypt. The difference here then between Moses and Jesus is that Jesus comes with authority as an heir of the owner. In other words, he participates in the ownership of the house. Moses was only carrying out the instructions given to him, whereas Jesus can give instruction. Jesus is the owner of the house. And so, they, their roles are different, and Jesus' role is more glorious than that of Moses. So then as we continue on there, that now Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession, or our confidence, and our boasting in our hope. Now what, what is this? Uh, saying well we're not going to get into it because for time's sake uh, and digesting it all sake um, I've I've decided to kind of stop here with verse 6 but to get the full context of what this discussion about remaining in the house um, that we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope the next thing that comes is a comparison to those who were faithless Specifically, those whom God rescued out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and were faithless before God. That generation um, of Moses that, that just were grumblers and complainers and, and faithless uh, to God and not allowed to enter into the promised land because of it. And so there's a comparison, or a contrast rather, that's going to be drawn through chapter 3 of don't be like those who, who grumble, who complain, who, who fall away from their faith, but rather be those who remain in the house of God through holding on to your confidence and your boasting in the hope that He's given you. We remain in God's house rather than drifting away as they did in Moses' day, if we hold fast our confidence and boasting and hope. So what does it mean to hold fast? Well, it means to hold on to, to possess, to retain, to keep from going away, to cling to. Um, this is a, a, a tenacious kind of a thing. Um, it is, it is working really hard to hold on to something. Going to great effort to not lose it. So hold fast. Hold fast what? Our confidence. What, what is being referred to here as our confidence? Well, this word confidence here actually can also um, be um, understood in these ways. Boldness. Frankness. Openly, without concealment or ambiguity, unreservedly. So, as we hold on to our confidence, it's a holding on to our boldness, 
our plainness in the way that we speak, um, that we don't conceal this thing that we have confidence in, that we are bold in. We don't conceal it. We don't, we don't let it just resign in this area of ambiguity where we kind of hem and haw around it but never really talk about it directly, um, where we have this thing unreservedly, unapologetically, this confidence. Confidence, this boldness, this frankness, in what we believe because of who Jesus is. We have this confidence, this boldness in him. Look, so remember, there's a therefore. Therefore, so built on who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we now are called to operate openly, frankly, without reservation on that, on what Christ has done for us. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know the church answer. But I'm going to ask you to consider it. So don't answer it aloud. I'm just going to ask you to consider it at the heart level. Are you ashamed of Christ? Well, we tend to speak openly and unreservedly about things we are not ashamed about. So let me ask you another question. Do you speak openly and unreservedly about Christ? We are called to be open and frank and bold without concealment, without ambiguity, without reservation in Christ. Now this isn't being outspoken. This is not that. We're all different personalities. Um, We have different gifts. So what this looks like for each one of us might be a little different, but the issue is at the heart and with the mouth, that when you have opportunity to, to represent Christ, are you open and frank about it? Are you unreserved? Or are you am, a little bit ambiguous about the whole thing? Well, you know, big guy in the sky. You know, like that kind of thing. Rather than Jesus Christ. Name names. This name is one meant to be dropped. And so... Confidence, then, is boldness, frankness, openness. Um, Boasting and our boasting in our hope. So we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What does boasting mean? Uh, it's, it's, It's certainly not that kind of boasting like, yeah, in your face, right? That's not what we're talking about. That's pretty clear. It's a rejoicing in, a to glory in something. Um, to display unapologetic pleasure, joy, and confidence in it. Um, I mean, when you, the birth of your child, the day you were married, uh, the day you graduated, whatever it was, did, were you like apologetic and trying to hide the whole thing? No. You were boasting in it. Right? This is exciting. This is awesome. This is meant to be celebrated. I'm not hiding this. And so we hold on to the hope that we have in Christ. We rejoice in it. We glory in it. We're unapologetically uh, uh, joyful and confident in what Christ has done for us. 
and this hope that we're holding on to is this hope of our salvation, this hope that we're going to glory, this, this hope of our sacrificial and sympathetic Savior being there for us all the time. So then, um, so we have this exhortation then to uh, hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So how do we do that? Well, this, these verses are a little bit cyclical, right? It starts out, consider Jesus, and then ends, at least with this portion of it, with hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. How do we do that? Consider Jesus, right? Consider Jesus, hold fast your confidence and your hope by considering more Jesus, Now, this theme uh, runs quite a bit through Hebrews. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. See that? There's this, this establishment. There's a call to hold fast our confession, but it's established on Jesus being our great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Look at chapter 6, verse 17 through 20. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we have hold fast by considering Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. I love the way chapter 8 starts. I'm excited to get to that, which won't be real soon, but we'll get there. <laughs> now, the point in what we are saying is this. Now, don't you kind of wish you, you could read this more often in Scripture and it would just say, here's the point, right? Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So we have this again. Consider Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Consider Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed 
under the first covenant. Now, this will make probably more sense when we get into it, but there's going to be a lot of discussion in Hebrews. We're just edging into a discussion about the priesthood. We're going to continue into a discussion about the, the sacrificial system. And, um, and as this is being discussed in the context of Jesus, the, there is this continual um, pointing back to Considering Jesus in all of this. Consider him. Consider him. His sacrifice. His role as priest. All of this. Consider Jesus. Look at verse 24 in chapter 9. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Look at chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places of the, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, we have that hold fast our confession, but based on what? Based on Jesus. Consider Jesus and hold fast. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so in chapter 11 we considered those who considered Jesus, right? So, so the message through Hebrews is consider Jesus and hold fast. And then in chapter 11 it is consider those who have considered Jesus and held fast, right? So then when you get to chapter 12, it's therefore since we have, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and shown us how to live faithfully, to hold fast and persevere, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So even as as we're being told, consider those who have considered Jesus and held fast, it still gets around to, but consider Jesus for yourself, right? Consider Jesus and be encouraged by those who have done the same and persevered. Consider him. Keep your eyes on him. Consider what he's done. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, and despised its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. So there's some, uh, again, we'll get into this more much later, um, but there's some Old Testament imagery being brought into this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, the, in this 
particular part of Hebrews, it's, you know, Moses brought his people, or God brought Moses and his people uh, to himself at, at a mountain, but God's brought you into something more glorious than that. And we have Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so even as we're thinking about what God has brought us now into as uh, through Jesus Christ, it is considering Jesus Christ as being the one who has brought us there. Now as we continue on here, chapter 13, verse 11. Related to the sacrificial system, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For, we, for here we, are, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So again, this call to persevere and to, to endure um, because we're considering Christ and the glory that lies ahead of us as a result of Christ and all he's done. And then as we get to the end of chapter 13, verse 20, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in, this, in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have this final encouragement in Hebrews to persevere, to endure because of Christ. And so the calling of Hebrews to persevere and to endure is established on the message of Hebrews, which is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been sent and has given himself a sacrifice for you and now stands as a perfect mediator between you and God, the only one who can sympathize with what you're going through because he himself went through it. So hold fast in your confidence. Hold fast in your boasting of the hope that we have in Christ. So then, if the, if the way we hold fast is by considering Jesus, then I want to leave you with some thoughts on how you can consider Jesus. Considering um, is, uh, it is more than um, just thinking about, although it does involve our minds, Remember, our call is to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So considering Jesus comes in the entirety of who we are. Consider him. Here's four things, four ways to consider him. One, prayer. That we consider Jesus in prayer. That we come before the Father and we give thanks for what he has done for us in sending His Son to take our place on the cross, to endure the cross, the suffering, the wrath, the shame on our behalf. To consider Him. To consider all that He went through and how He went through various forms of suffering for us and can sympathize with us. And sharing 
sharing the gospel, we consider Jesus. We're not just considering it for ourselves, we're considering it also among others when we share the gospel. That we are considering what Jesus has done and considering it worthy to pass along to someone else, worthy to bring us to salvation and worthy to bring others to salvation. And so we retell it again. And as we do, look, when we share the gospel with others, we're considering it all over again for ourselves, or at least that ought to be what's happening if it's coming from our heart. Ruminating on His Word when we read the Word of God and we think deeply on it and consider what, is, what God is speaking through it and seek to understand it, we are considering Jesus. Because the Scripture is full of, of Jesus and full of messengers who came before Him or after Him who are pointing to Him. And so as we enter into Scripture, just know, uh, I generally, for, for, uh, for accuracy in understanding the Word of God, we, we, I would say, every other time, I would say, don't go to Scripture with the idea of what you're going to find. Let Scripture speak to you and get your ideas from that. Right? That's, let God's Word inform you, right? Not the other way around. But this one I'm giving you the cheat sheet on. You will find Jesus at the end of every thread you follow in Scripture. Okay, so just know that every passage you're going to open, while it may not be, you know, in the immediate context, it may not be speaking of Jesus. You have to consider the style of, of, of writing and all of that. But somewhere in that, it points to Jesus or reveals him directly. Ruminating on God's word is considering Jesus. Gathering. When we gather with other believers for worship, for teaching, for encouragement, uh, when we talk with one another about Jesus, and I would exhort you in this, that, uh, and I'm guilty of it too, that when I think about how often do I really just talk about what Jesus has done for us when I'm talking with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'd have to say, not near enough. I mean, this is something that we need to consider. The, the voice of Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. So what ought to be a part of our fellowship? Considering Jesus. Right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of stuff to consider on the journey, but the main thing to consider is Jesus. And so it ought to be largely a part of our discussions together. But being together with other believers is also a source for us to be considering Jesus. It is a purposeful thing that we're called to do in Hebrews. Considering is, is not one of those things that happens to you. It's something that you take part in. Right? So you make it happen. Right? It's like watering your grass. Watering your grass doesn't just happen because you want it to or you think about it. It happens when you go out and pull the hose around and turn the water on. Right? Same with considering Jesus. Be intentional about it. So if, 
If we're going to persevere then and hold fast to the hope that we have and the confidence that we have, the boldness, the frankness, the openness that we have in what Jesus has done for us, then we must consider him. And if we're going to consider him, then we need to think about that intentionally. Praying, sharing the gospel, ruminating on his word, and gathering for worship. If you're not familiar with the the word ruminating, it's a... Animals chewing, think animals chewing their cud. They make a meal last, and they get the most out of it because of it. They chew it, swallow it, chew it again, swallow it again, chew it again, swallow it again. It's a process that goes on and on for a while until they reach a point where they're going to get the most benefit out of what they just ate. Do that with God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message that is before us, that we have a great and faithful and merciful high priest, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross on our behalf, enduring the shame, enduring the suffering, enduring your wrath against our sin, who loves us so much. Lord, I thank you. We thank you for his obedience. We thank you for his humility. We thank you for his willingness, Lord, to consider the joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory through his sacrifice. And we ask you to, Lord, ever keep, ever keep the sacrifice of your son on our hearts and on our minds and on our lips. to ever consider him among men, how he loved, how he served, how he sacrificed, how he endured, how he withstood temptation, how he boldly proclaimed your word, that we would consider him, that we would draw confidence from that, that we would be greatly emboldened and encouraged by considering our Savior, Jesus. Lord, help us, each one, to hold fast to, the, to our confidence in Him and to, to continue to rejoice, to boast in the hope that we have of heaven. We have something so superior to the stuff of earth to look forward to to hold on to. Lord, may these things ever help us to finish our race well, to exhort and encourage one another on the journey's way. And Lord, to never take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bruce doesn't just have in mind your own personal endurance and perseverance, but actually encourages us to consider persevering and enduring as it relates to the whole house of God, that we endure and we persevere together. 
In fact, in chapter 10, it starts saying things like, consider how we can stir each other up, that we continue to meet together, so that we persevere together, and not leaving every man for himself. First uh, Peter chapter 2, um, we have this, because we are the house of God together. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Peter goes on to remind that the capstone, the the foundation of this house is Jesus Christ. And we have to keep that really clear. And I think that's what Hebrews is meant to do, just to establish once and for all. It's not Moses that laid the first brick of this house. It's, It's not a denomination or or a tradition that laid the first brick of this house. It was our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's on Him that we stand. So may the Lord bless and keep you as you consider Jesus.